32 counties. United by people. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United United Ireland. Ireland. Every week on United Ireland, we talk to interesting people at the heart of what's happening here in Ireland beyond the headlines. This is your juice fest of political, cultural, social broadcasting. Why be divided when we can be united? We're just trying some things out here, folks, giving, getting you to the essence. Uh, this week's question, why are Gardaí raiding CBD stores? A curious question. We're going to be talking about some shenanigans uh, in Kilkenny. And we're also just going to be talking about the broader legal context of decriminalization, legalization, and what has been happening in that space. This podcast runs entirely on the fuel generated from Patreon. Oh, that's a beautiful metaphor. Is that a metaphor or a simile? Mm, yeah. I mean, I, it kind of sounds like Bitcoin as well. <laughs> One Bitcoin is generated by the server power. Um, this is our 159th podcast episode. Oh my gosh. When you include bonuses, bylines, 32 questions and the Sunday Soothe. Um, all of that has been financed by you, the listener, who has signed up to our Patreon. As we dive into United Ireland 2.0, can you help us grow? We're at a level now where we can tick along but we need more support. So if you've been listening to this podcast but haven't signed up on Patreon, if you've been enjoying our 32 question series with Irish politicians, uh, check out the Holly Kearns one from last week. If you dig the byline episodes with amazing journalists and if you want to support alternative, independent, current affairs vibes, give us a hand. It's only going to cost you three euro a month if you can afford it if you go for the lowest tier on Patreon. Would we that- would be very... Would now be a good time for me to insert like my small violin of how our lives have been upended by the pandemic with no business. <laughs> and this is our life. No, I'm only joking. Um, well, it is true though. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not sitting around moaning and groaning. No, we're opening up. No, we're not. Um, we are keeping on doing our vibes and we are very grateful for your support and we do need to get more though so if you have listened to this and have just been like oh that's a fun thing that I listen to um, try and sign up for Patreon one thing that we don't do is like the Patreon thing is very hands off all that happens is basically when you sign up you get you get rewards posted out to you which that apparently are, no one wants by the sense of my yeah. survey. Everyone's like, yeah, I'm actually just here for the content. I, I don't really mind the rewards. All right, cool. You get those, whether you want them or not. And uh, you get a mail, uh, one email basically pretty much every week, unless we have a bonus episode to be like, the podcast is here. And then you get uh, a mail on Sundays with like the Sunday Sooth is here. It's very low stakes, low interaction. So um, you won't be bombarded with stuff and then you'll be like l- l- have the nice warm vibe of helping us do our thing. So that would be great. That's the most we've spoken about Patreon in ages. Helping uh, us to feed our family. Okay, now Andrea, please stop. <laughs> um, right. Are we ready for Andrea's State of the Nation? a bananas week all round. Um, firstly, top of my list is the LDA 
uh, deal that's currently being trying to be pushed through. Um, basically, Fianna Fáil are trying to give the land development agency full control to do what they want with public land. And in the past, pesky councillors have gotten in the way and objecting to them just giving land to developers to build houses. And now they're like, do you know what, this is slowing shit down. So what we need to do is just bypass all that democracy crap and just let the land development agency just do their thing. It is. It's, it's it's like, just, when you say it out loud, you're just like, sorry, what? What? One of, one of the most annoying aspects of discourse around planning and no, discourse around housing in Ireland is when uh, Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael people go, usually more so Fine Gael actually, Fine Gael councillors and politicians um, say, yet another opportunity to solve the housing crisis scuppered by councillors who are using ideological lunacy to stop us building housing. Look at the homelessness crisis. And it's like, okay, let's take a step back here. First of all, you created the fucking housing and homelessness crisis. So I am not convinced that you now have magically grown the tools to solve it. Second of all, that's not what most councillors are doing when they are uh, voting against public land being given to private developers who will then build houses uh, magically all of a sudden, even though they say everything is so expensive to build and then sell them back at crazy prices to the council when report after report and study after study says it's way easier for local authorities, way cheaper, uh, way more value for the taxpayer to tender and build directly. We're not talking about councils employing a new construction industry. It is what's there already. Developers are land prospectors who inflate the price of land, get it built on and make loads of money from it. Private yeah. developers are not the people who should be leading public housing bills. So that is turbo, turbo annoying. And you just have these guys, you know, you know, the kind of local Fine Gael councillor type, you know, on their Twitter going, oh, this absolute idea, and then just completely refusing to see their own ideology. It's like sell, like handing public land to private developers is an ideological choice. Ideology does not just exist on the left. You have no self-awareness. See you later. And as a side note to that, they're not necessarily building houses. They're building co-living shit yeah. and anything that will make the most money so that is not really where we should be having our decisions made of what we should build by people who just want to make money and oh what else is going on then next up on my list my favorite one of my favorite things of the week Stephen Donnelly ah yes has been renamed as King Kim John Don <laughs> Like, can you cope? I can't even. After he basically had um, a new a new advisor start in January and they invited only health correspondents to talk about the vaccine to a press conference. And uh, there was like, you can't give this to anyone else in your newspaper, even though some people did. So when everyone turned up then on the day, a political correspondent from the Daily Mail uh, was told they can't come in because it's only for health correspondents. He's like, but there's loads of people who aren't only health correspondents. And they're like, look, we're, we've only invited health correspondents. You can't transfer it. 
which is all very bizarre. And then uh, it kept going until, like, I feel, I've never met this man, but I'm slightly obsessed. He's the most softly spoken man on Twitter with the facts and the news, no hyperbole, Fergal Bears in RTE. Um, he said, well, if they're not going in, RTE aren't going in. And then they had to let everyone in. And like, I know there's always comparisons made and I'm not going to make it with Trump's America. What I'm going to make it with is imagine if there was like a Sinn Féin uh, press conference and they were only letting like their pick in and there would be absolute bananas up for about They that. did make, Sinn Féin did make those like kind of mad uh, videos masquerading as uh, broadcast interviews during the election though. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> they did. It was kind of like an interview with Mary Lou McDonald and it's like, this is a TV studio. I'm like, mm, that's not real. <laughs> but I take your point. <laughs> it's just, forget, well, not even Sinn Féin, but like, it's just, you can't be like, some media can come to this. And I, like, I get, like, I think it was just, I just think there's a lot to be said for journalists at, uh, be taking the role as PR people because journalism is a very different like I know there's a lot of crossover but PR is very strategic and having worked in it for so long you, you're thinking about the repercussions five ways down the road of like what the potential things could happen because of this all the time whereas I don't think there's that that happens with a journalist. So when all journalists are coming in to do these advisor roles, it's very bizarre, I think. Mm, I think it's also my support Galler is the advisor, right? Colette Saxton has left and yeah. Susan Mitchell's still in there. Um, I think it's like so ridiculous because you should have an insight into what journalists want. And the one thing, like the single one thing that you could do to piss off journalists and then get absolutely dragged over is this kind of crack. You can't come in. This is how we're going to control it. La la la. Journalists. These are the questions you can ask. They just, they just, I don't know why I'm saying they, because I also, but like, they just don't like that. They do not like that. Um, and it's silly. Another silly thing is the ESRI report uh, came out stating that the government's affordable housing plan will actually instead increase developer profits as opposed to bring about um, affordable housing. Now, that's all, that's a bit shit in itself, I suppose you could say. But then the next step is that the government then came out, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael senators came out and asked the ESRI if they wouldn't mind changing the opening paragraph where it, that states that. And the ESRI are like, uh, no, because that's the, the fact. Um, and then Dara O'Brien was on the radio today talking about it. And he's like, like if you, ju it's just, if you give these, uh, this discounted stuff to the right people and that, that's what Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil are known for, isn't it? <laughs> Giving it to the right people. I always think that when I think about them, they're just in there doing their bits to get it to the right people. Um, so yeah, we'll watch I that think with interest. that it's actually, this is a really crazy story that should be bigger, I think. You know, the fact that the ESRI, which is like a research, you know, the institution or institute or whatever. But that was the Iona. Not yeah, well, no, they're not actually in it. Uh, that's just, you know, the UNA institution um, or the institute. God. Uh, um, but the fact that they're, they're like, OK, here's all our research, 
research here all the knock-on effects this is how the the your new affordable uh help to buy blah blah will impact house and it'll drive prices up and la 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 and they're just like yeah no that that research that doesn't really fit our um political agenda with this kind of crappy legislation that everybody is like running around ringing alarm bells about um i think it's i think it's totally bonkers and you know i i it's it's a state yeah but uh, yeah sorry i keep interrupting your state of the nation just because i'm <laughs> I re- I'm passionate about about these stories um well here's something nicer because uh actually listening to richard boyd barrett he put up an insta story that's where i get my news and it was he was just like this is the future now Emma. like you're literally just eradicating public housing by doing this and this is going to be a fucking crisis as soon as people cop on to how much of a fucking shit show they're putting putting through like and that with the lda deal like it's very damaging for the country isn't it having a fina fall in power mm. <laughs> is that an understatement um <laughs> Here's some brighter news. Uh, the Johnson Johnson single dose vaccine is on the way. And we've always said on this podcast that the solution to this uh, little problem of a pandemic we find ourselves in is not going to be just about the vaccine, but you do have to be thankful for every single dose. <laughs> Every time. It's just like Stephen Donnelly's face. First dose. Now, at the moment, uh, on Wednesday afternoon, the Green Party are launching its vision for more street today, which is also going to take in the reclamation of O'Connell Street, the main thoroughfare in the main city of the country. Um, So I like. I have to say the Green Party are falling apart, but the stuff that they are bringing in and introducing in terms of infrastructures and suggestions and culture stuff is really good. Would that be fair enough to say? I think there's a point in that, yeah. I think Catherine Martin has also turned her ministry around a bit as well. Yeah, but also there's just like the funding they're getting for cycleways and I know there's always the drama around them, but there's just... they're. There is a lot of good stuff coming through. So, and they did a really good vision for College Green. So, uh, if we have to, if we sacrificed their party for the greater good of the city, well, I'd be delighted. Stinger for the party. Uh, and then finally, at the moment, there are thousands and thousands of protesters in Myanmar, um, in the capital city protesting against the military coup that has happened over there and I just am very terrified by that and I just think it is an awful state of affairs and we should be doing everything we can to allow democracy to come through come through democracy is that the state of the nation (laughs) that's the state of the nation A CBD shop in Kilkenny was raided by Gardaí for, I think, the third time. And a number of items were seized from the store. The place is called Little Collins. It's on Kiernan Street in the city, if you're familiar with it. And the raids seem to emerge, uh, at least in part, from a lack of clarity in legislation regarding CBD-based products. CBD is not a controlled substance. 
However, the ambiguity here, when we'll get to this in a sec, seems to be around products where there are even traces of THC, even fractions of a percentage. Legislation is yet to be amended regarding traces of THC below 0.3% in CBD products, which is basically nothing, as you can imagine. So if CBD is not a controlled product, why are CBD shops, and this one in particular, being raided by Gardaí? To discuss this on the broader issue of CBD decriminalisation and legalisation more generally, which we'll get into after about other stuff, we're joined uh, by Ida O'Brien, who is the owner of Little Collins. Hello. Hello, girls. How are you? We're great. Uh, you have not had a great time in the shop, though. Um well, first, let's go back, though. When did you set up the shop and, and why? Um, well, I guess just a little background on myself and JP. We came from Australia just two and a half years ago and we opened our first store in Galway City in November um, 2018. And um, we opened our Kilkenny store August of last year, um, which was 2020. So we've been open just six months now. Um, yeah, so during that time, we've, we have the two stores and um, business has been going very well in Kilkenny City. Uh, we absolutely love it there. Uh, we have a kind of a, a, a long history or a background, a tie from JP to Kilkenny uh, via his great, 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 great grandmother um, who left Kilkenny via one of the orphanage um, or, or she got on one of the ships and escaped the the orphanage there in Kilkenny. So it was um, it was very important for us to to have a Kilkenny store. Mm. And why why what brought you into opening a CBD shop? I guess a change of scenery. Um, I was a chef for 15, 20 years and JP and I met seven or eight years ago in Australia. Um, I had retrained into personal training, fitness, health and well-being. He was in um, TV and film and we had just had a baby. Cassidy was oh, I don't know, 18 months old. Things weren't moving quite as we wanted in Melbourne. And I had been there for almost 14 years. And one day I woke up and I just said, maybe we just go back to Ireland. Um, he had been researching CBD for quite some time. We had been home on holidays six months prior to that. And we... Um, we just loved the idea and we desperately wanted a change and CBD looked like it had just been legalized here then. And it's interesting because CBD has become kind of almost a, a health and well-being uh, standard for a lot of people. You know, there's such a diversity of products and uh, it's sold so widely. Um, and what was what what are your like leaving aside the the what's been going on with the guards and stuff like that in terms of the motivations for selling this product and the types of products and like why and who comes or why people come to your shop and and who what kind of people come to your shop like what are people after um yeah so it, it's absolutely um exactly how you described it health and wellness for a lot of people we believe in uh choice and we like to be able to give um, people the choice to be able to come somewhere and try something new, something alternative, something natural, organic. Um, and a lot of those people may have 
um, or, you know, ongoing ailments. um, And they've tried other things that just don't do it for them. And then they come to us basically looking for the alternative um, of CBD or hemp. And um, they would range from, you know, young people to much, much older people, um, people with anxiety, stress, uh, inflammation, cancer patients. Um, yeah, mums, you know, busy mums with lots of kids <laughs> that just want to relax um, will come and buy a bag of tea. And um, yeah, so all walks of life. What? And we, sorry. Sorry, go on. And we, uh, yeah, we offer it in many, many different forms. So there's, um, you know, something that suits everybody once they're over 18. What, how would you, like for people who may not be familiar with CBD, but which would be surprising given that it's sold in, boot, in products and boots and pennies and everything. What yeah. is exactly CBD and how, what's the differentiation to cannabis and uh, what effects does it have? You talk about stress and calming and whatever, mm. but like how, what are the similarities and differences, I suppose, from it and cannabis? I guess the main one is... Um, And just to clarify, we do sell cannabis. This is Cannabis Sativa L. It is um, a cannabis strain, but it has 0.2% THC or less psychoactive ingredient than, say, your regular cannabis strain, which can have, you know, 20% um, THC content. So what we sell really is... um, is, a very calming and kind of relaxing alternative to somebody having um, a THC product uh, above that 0.2%, which they may use for, you know, I don't know, for, you know, medicinal reasons, but also to get high. So it's completely different in in that sense. Yeah. So when the THC is, is essentially removed or not present in any kind of cannabis product or derivative of it, oil, mm. tea, whatever, it, it is not the like cannabis or marijuana or weed that people are familiar with, right? Because the psychoactive yeah. ingredient that gets you high is not present. Yeah, it's been removed. And the seeds that our growers would use to grow their cannabis sativa L um, are THC free or, you know, 02 percent THC seeds. So it's legal, right? I mean, what's what's your understanding of the legislation? God, Um, our understanding when we opened our store is yes, it was 100% legal um, as a food product and we sell it in our store as a food product. Um, I am a chef, um, traditionally trained and my background is in food and I currently prepare many of our products products and um, where that, you know, whether that's butter or um, a body oil or the edibles. Um, and for me, it is, it's fully legal. Hemp is legal as a food product. But you've got this, um, you know, 1977 Drugs Act stating that it is le- illegal and it is therefore, you know, our, a narcotic in Ireland still. So what then happened with the raids, with the recent raids? Um, so Kilkenny was raided once. Um, they had, they have come for many visits in this uh, last two week period. So um, I guess if we go back to 
Wednesday, this time two weeks ago, actually, uh, we received a call from KCL uh, Radio asking if uh, we would comment on some locals uh, unhappy with the smell coming from our store or the cafe that sells cannabis. So um, JP did go on uh, the radio the next morning to answer questions and confirm you know, this is fully legal what we do. We're a CBD store. Come on down, say hello. We can explain it all to you. Um, that went pretty well. Uh, unfortunately, that afternoon, that kind of spiked a raid from the local Gardaí. Um, they had stuck their heads in on the Wednesday afternoon, uh, took some photographs of predominantly, I guess, the hemp CBD flowers Um many of our other products and they asked for a certificate of analysis to prove what we were selling was below 0.2% THC. That was sent to Dublin on the Wednesday night and um, somebody in Dublin gave the go ahead to raid us because they decided in Dublin, actually, no, they cannot be even selling it with 0.2%. You need to raid them immediately. That sounds absolutely bananas. So it kind of feels like that it's almost like a local the pe- local, mm. local people are kind of driving this maybe? Sadly, I guess I felt that for a short period of time, but then I called uh, one of our regular hotels in Kilkenny to book JP in when he had to get down there and um, kind of assist the staff. Um, I couldn't go at the time because I was pregnant, so we decided I would stay here. And um, the hotel in Kilkenny confirmed this is just a very small minority. We love your store. We welcome your store. And we're all disgusted at the raid that occurred um, yesterday. I think it was the Friday I spoke to them. So and then after JP getting down there and speaking with the locals and reopening the store with the staff, um, we quite quickly I guess uh, we quite quickly realized that it's not really about, you know, it's a very small minority that are probably unhappy with what we're doing there. Mm. So it's kind of this uh, collision, I suppose, of a couple of people who are have a lot of time in their hands, maybe, and who are annoyed about (laughs) something. And then the ignorance, I guess, that surrounds um, this product and then also legislation that is seems to me to be kind of flapping in the in the wind a little bit. Like, how do you characterize your the the legislation or what you understand of it, and where is it maybe falling short that's allowing these vacuums uh, to open up? I guess um, when we opened the store, the HSE fully supported us. You know, two and a half years ago. Hemp is legal as a food product with 0.2% THC or less. Um, and that was wonderful. And we opened and we had done our research and we had reached out to everybody and um, off we went. You know, we got the go ahead from the local drug squad, from the local guard. It was fantastic. Um, in those two years, though, it, it seems to be that not everybody is on board with that. And um, different bodies of the government seem to have a different interpretation of what is and isn't legal. And um, that needs to be that needs to be rectified immediately Um, Mm. because many stores like ours are suffering. Many of them have have closed completely and gone out of business. Um, I guess we've been lucky enough to grow 
so much in the last two and a half years that um, we're hoping we can weather the storm. We know we can weather the storm. And um, they have ignored the high court ruling. Sadly, a few months ago, the Irish authorities have completely ignored that. So it almost feels like now, if this change doesn't come by the relevant bodies getting together and having a a bloody serious discussion about how it's affecting everybody on the ground here, it could be our high court case that may be the one to do it. Can you tell us a bit about the high court ruling? Um, well, it's with the High Court currently. Um, it was up for mention last Tuesday. Um, funnily enough, we believe since um, we lodged that with the High Court in December, we believe that spiked the raid initially. We had a Galway raid in December too, uh, on exactly the same day that we lodged the documents. Um and now this one as well since. And uh, we kind of feel like we're under attack a little bit for for pushing this to the high court. What was the basis of your of the case you're taking? Um, last August, um, sadly, uh, JP was, um, you know, voluntarily went in and spoke with the drug squad and the detectives and they charged him for possession of cannabis, um, which is 0.2% THC or less. It's hemp, you know, uh, that they found 18 months prior in our Galway store and our home. Um, And uh, we went to court uh, this year just for that. And it couldn't be heard in the local district court because this is just too big for that. So we decided to, with our legal team, take this to the high court um, to basically have it either thrown out because what we're doing is not illegal in our eyes and in, e- in EU law, it's not illegal. Um, and we are hoping to have that law amended in court or to have the whole thing just thrown out. And it goes without saying that this quote unquote cannabis is the one with no or a tra- yes. only a trace of THC. Zero you know, it's interesting. I wonder, it, uh, does the kind of, um, I mean, ignorance is quite strong, but let's just mm. go with that. Um, amongst the Gardaí come down to the fact that that you're selling flour, the the buds or whatever, that are don't have THC in them and that, uh, you know, the criminal justice system or, you know, the police automatically go, that's drugs, <laughs> you know, because... <laughs> We've got a lot of the, obviously, as you know well, the CBDs, for the most part, I guess people will be most familiar with it in, you know, little little uh, um, oil uh, yeah. bottles, you know, that you get in Nourish or Down to Earth or whatever. The first time mm. I came across um, CBD in flower form, actually, I think was in like a shop in Lisbon. And, and I, I was like, oh, you can just buy this, like the, fla- the, the flower, the plant, the bud or whatever. And it's just not, it has no THC in it or, or basically very, very little because uh, I'd previously just seen it in oils or edibles or whatever. Um, so do you think that they're basically just kind of looking at something that looks like mm. marijuana and going, that's illegal, that's drugs? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. That is crazy that that distinction wouldn't be made when it is a, such a huge distinction and and a massive industry. They have no way of testing the product in Ireland. This is part of the issue too. So they just test for cannabis. And the way they see it is cannabis is cannabis. 
and the THC doesn't come into it. Sadly, there is no facility for that testing in this country. And the detectives in Galway in December admitted as much. Everything we've taken from your store will be tested, but we don't test the THC here. But that's kind of like having a load of fake ecstasy pills with ecstasy written on them and somebody looks at them and goes, (laughs) that's ecstasy, you're getting arrested. And you could say, well, actually, it's ibuprofen. Yes, exactly. Which is... Mm. So hard to get your head around how <laughs> bananas that is, no? It is, yeah. And, you know, we wake up every day and we drive and we push and we work and we slog and we've got a beautiful four-year-old boy um, and we've got two shops that we love and we never know what we're going to get hit with, ever. It's a wild ride. And um, it was very apparent last week, I believe, in Kilkenny that the guards there just did not know what the hell we were selling. I mean, we've got these beautiful drawings on the wall, hand-painted in both stores of hemp plants. And they were taking photographs of this plant saying, God, you're selling cannabis. This is cannabis. Yes, it's cannabis. And the staff um, are educated enough to say, we sell hemp, you know, it's 0.2% THC or less. It doesn't get you high. It can't get you high. Like I th- Obviously, there's bigger questions and this is probably not the right thing. But like, it seems so funny that we're arguing over a percentage of THC in a plant. Like, obviously, Mm. that's the law. But then it's like, take the law out of it. okay? and then you're like, it's got 0.3 percent THC. So that's illegal. It's like the difference of of a plant. It just blows my mind. And how has this affected you, though? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, It's funny, we sell CBD, you know, to people to help people and for people to get relief from stress and anxiety. We're probably taking more than anybody else (laughs) (laughs) with what we've been through. Um, It's a good thing we have an unlimited supply of it. Um, (laughs) For now. (laughs) For now, yeah, depending on what way things go. But, um, uh, you know, it's been a wild wild ride um very stressful super rewarding and the irish people have just welcomed us with open arms um after 14 years to return home yeah it wasn't easy but um but i'm so happy to be here and i don't think that we would have this kind of support anywhere else um yeah so it's yeah it's been crazy in an ideal world, then, what would you like the outcome of this to be? Right now, straight away, if it could happen tomorrow, amend the Drugs Act of 1977 immediately. Let the industry open up. Um, you know, we're still in this pandemic, for Christ's sakes. People aren't working. Um, there's going to be, you know, many businesses have closed, sadly. Um, people are sitting at home just uh, itching to do something. This industry could be, you know, the biggest export industry for Ireland in the coming years. CBD, that is. Let's just get that done straight away. And what happens next for you guys? Dublin is next. Um, Our Dublin store, um, we will push forward and we will have a, a store open by the end of the year. Definitely. Great. Yeah. Well, listen, we're going to check back in with you to see how that case is going. Uh, this just seems like a bizarre um, 
quirk in the system, although we are talking about a legislative system that once accidentally legalized uh, ecstasy for 24 hours without noticing a few years ago. Um, So not necessarily on top of things. Um, But listen, it must be so stressful. So sending you solidarity and uh, hope the shops keep going well and look forward to the Dublin opening. Yes, awesome. And, you know, if you're ever in Kilkenny Girls or Galway, um, come on down. We'll shout you a hemp tea. I'm having a delicious one right now while I'm speaking to you both. So, yeah. Thank you very much for talking to me today. So that's uh, a really interesting story uh, uh, that obviously kind of a local enough story, but that obviously has a big um national uh context and and a global context as well but one of the things that i'm interested in is over the past few years how drug laws have been changing in ireland and this has been something that people who are on the decriminalization side of things and this the legal like people who are on drugs have been thinking about <laughs> <laughs> um this is your legislation on drugs um and people who've been working a lot in the uh, decriminalization side, legalization side, framing um, addiction related to drugs, which is not relevant when we're talking about kind of cannabis and stuff as a public health issue and just moving away from the, you know, prohibition basically, which doesn't work. And, um, and things actually have been happening and they haven't necessarily been publicized an awful lot. Cannabis was legalized for medical reasons in Ireland in 2019, but Kind of, and not really, because basically people had to travel to the Netherlands to get it. So it wasn't very accessible. And then in April of 2020, Corona correction alert, um, because of the pandemic and the travel restrictions, a delivery service had to be created so people could get their medicinal cannabis. And now that's been made permanent. So you're basically granted this personal license to access medicinal cannabis. I think there's kind of an array of ailments that you can have uh, to access that and then a consultant doctor has to approve and yada. So along with that, um, last year, personal possession or like small, excuse me, small amounts of personal possession of cannabis was effectively decriminalized in kind of a way in Ireland. So possession for personal use used to be a criminal thing. Uh, If you got caught with like a really small amount of weed, you would be you know, charged with possession. It's called simple possession. Um, but that happened to you. <clears throat> well, you get brought through the courts, and usually it would just be a fine, um, uh, or like you know the whole thing they do after music festivals, where like there's just like an array of people who've been done for small possession, and you and you just put some money in like the magic poor box that the Irish court system has that just operates in a universe of its own and nobody ever discusses how it is. It doesn't really have legal standing. Um, but, yeah, sure. but does that mean you can't uh, travel then? Is that on your record? Or? No, it depends. Sometimes if you pay a fine, they do, do a thing sometimes where I feel like you, you can pay on the day to not have anything on your record, for example. So if you're rich, you can get away with shit, basically. Well, yeah, well, what's fucking you there? But um, basically that changed last year. And so personal possession of, small personal possession of cannabis was effectively decriminalized, kind of, kind of, kind of. Um, And so basically what happened was possession for personal use was added to the adult caution list, which is a a, a different kind of way of um, dealing with... uh, 
infractions, I suppose. So basically that means if people get caught with small amounts, they don't have to go through the criminal justice system. Uh, and you get referred to like, uh, it's like a, you get a caution and you get referred to the health authorities, basically. Um, and this is really important because simple possession charges make up up to 75% of drug cases brought before the criminal courts, which is such a waste of time. And strangely... But it obviously makes them loads of money. If well, it, I don't think it's about that. I think it's more about um, just the the philosophy that every drug so possession... Yeah, and every drug possession is a crime. And you can imagine not only the amount of court time that that sucks up, but the amount of guard the time, the amount of paperwork, all that kind of stuff. And actually the guards were calling for it to be put on the adult caution list because they're, if you obviously get someone for simple possession, you have to follow through with that paperwork as a guard and they have to be brought to court and all this kind of stuff. And it's, and it's just a waste of time because that's the process and now that's not the pipeline for that anymore, which is really good. Um, Weirdly, uh, a Fianna Fáil minister has ended up being on the more liberal side of things, which may have an impact. That person is, of course, Stephen Donnelly, our friend, who we talk about a lot. Uh, (laughs) um, And here's a quote from uh, Stephen Donnelly. Um, You may want to picture the Steve Buscemi meme uh, with the skateboard. Hey, fellow kids, while I'm while I'm giving you this quote. He said in an interview with Hot Press, who have to ask every politician about drugs for some reason, if a grown adult wants to grow a herb and then smoke it and there are no negative consequences for other people, then they should be allowed to do that. If you're doing something that's not harming anybody else, it's hard to see a legitimate role for the state in prosecuting you for it. So that was an interview done a good few years ago. And then when he was back in Fianna, or back in Fianna Fáil, when he joined Fianna Fáil and then when he became minister, he was asked about it again. He was like, no, his spokesperson said, no, he stands by that interview. Um, obviously, the prospect of getting stoned with Stephen Donnelly, <laughs> he admitted to smoking weed as well um, in the past, obviously. Not now. No, not now. Nobody does anything now. It's all in the past. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just like thinking about like, you know, I don't know, Stephen Donnelly smoking weed. You can just imagine him just like sitting on your couch explaining Sapiens page by page or something. It's like, please stop. Please stop. (laughs) Um, Anyway, suffice to say, and as we've heard from Ida and the ridiculous CBD confusion, um, prohibition is a load of bollocks. It's driven by moral panics, phony science, puritanical nonsense. A lot of it comes from the States. A lot of it actually stymies and disrupts research into uh, drugs that are deemed really dangerous for Schedule 1, like stuff around psilocybin and MDMA. It's about state control. It's coupled with media sensationalism. I just think everything should be decriminalized. And oh my God, you're mad hippie. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just so obvious. Um, yeah, I Like okay. the legal... Go on, go on, go on, Andrea. Okay, so I was sitting in my house the other week and I just was like trying to figure out why are drugs illegal like what brought this about like what if we're allowed to drink alcohol caffeine is considered a drug um so I I went down tobacco tobacco why are they allowed and then some aren't so I went down a little bit of a like I'm not going to say I went very deep on it but I came read a few articles and the 
one of them was like saying that the legal status isn't based on risk or harm. So people assume drugs are illegal because they're dangerous. And you're and like when you're in when you when you have an access to drugs, you're like, oh Jesus, but they kill you or whatever. Um, and like, how many times have you heard of anyone dying from cannabis or being like or whatever? Um, but the reasons aren't related to the relative risk of harm. Um, in 2010, a study was done. An expert ranked 20 legal and illegal drugs on 16 measures of harm to the user and to the wider society. These included health damage, economic costs, and crime. And overall, alcohol was the most harmful drug. And MDMA, which is ecstasy, and LSD and mushrooms were among the least harmful. So we and if you go to a festival versus maybe like a rowdy place where there's a lot of alcohol i'm not going to pit the two of them together but like you can see how um maybe mdma and ecstasy and uh those type of drugs are actually a, they're not called a love drug for nothing let me say so then i wanted to know why why this happened and there was this article in the guardian and um, that i'll put a link into because i just want to read this because i thought it was so interesting it was like the process of vilifying drugs by engendering the fear of the other people who use them became a recurring theme in drug policy black americans were stigmatized on account of heroin use in the 50s and in the 60s hippies and psychedelics were targeted because they opposed the vietnam war and then in the 70s it was in again inner city black Americans who used crack cocaine who received the brunt of uh, opprobrium, so much so that the penalties for crack possession were 100 times higher than for those for powder cocaine, despite almost equivalent pharmacology. Um, and then the UK has followed US trends over cannabis, heroin and psychedelics and led the, the vilification of MDMA. And in the UK, um, a hate campaign against young people behaving differently was instigated by the right wing press. And as with past campaigns, they hid the prejudice under the smokescreen of false health concerns. It was very uh, effective and resulted in both MDMA and raves being banned. And this occurred despite the police being largely comfortable with MDMA users since they were friendly, a stark contrast to those at alcohol field events. So it actually is the politicization of groups of people who use particular drugs that has led to the introduction of illegality rather than the effects of the drugs. So it's all, and like when you like are having the conversation about cannabis and CBD and THC and all that, it's like, so it's okay to have this if it doesn't give me a high. Why are we so afraid of people getting high of enjoying themselves of the pleasure of expanding their minds of the journey that thc brings people on it's often spirituality it's like there's no negative journey that uh, well, apart from psychosis or whatever that can happen but in terms of uh i don't mean that as a throwaway remark also but in terms of like the control of the of bringing you to a higher altered state it seems a bit bizarre it's just about state control over personal liberties. I mean, that is what it's about. Like the MDMA stuff in the UK is especially pertinent, I think, because when you look at, I don't know if people have seen this documentary I, I posted the other day, you can watch on YouTube called Everybody in the Place. And it's uh, delivered as a classroom lecture to young uh, British people about an alternative history of Britain around um, rave culture and the miners' strikes and Thatcherism 
and new labour and all that kind of stuff and the criminal justice bill which banned raves basically repetitive beats and groups of people but you cannot help but look at that at that the stuff that happened in the right wing british press at that that time and uh in collusion with the police and in collusion with the british state as well from a legislative point of view of conservative politicians and not think how threatening it was for the state to have young people of all backgrounds coming together and empathising with each other and finding each other and having fun and being hedonistic and letting go. And first of all, how um, fragile and defensive the state is that they see pleasure as an enemy and people actually kind of not giving shit about work for a weekend and you know shedding their prejudices and letting loose and how threatening that is for an uptight state and um so i think that that's like a, an interesting thing to look to look at and how people kind of freak out in these moral panics and you're so right referencing that article andre because it is all about stigmatizing groups of people um and, you know, obviously we're talking for the most part here about like recreation or what are deemed recreational drugs. And we're not talking about drugs that are physically addictive. Um, maybe some people might say, well, you know, certain things are psychologically addictive. And, you know, that can be true as well if people use things as a crutch. But I think it's interesting. Everything is addictive. Food is a crutch. Yeah. And food can be addictive and food can be damaging. But like that is not like you, there's, it's like there's there's bad people and there's good people you can't then vilify the whole thing yeah i think as like as well just for you know the benefit how we're being how so many people are being denied the benefits of these drugs in term from a scientific and research point of view like how science has been denied and has been on the back foot with regards to research into the therapeutic uses of mdma of lsd of psilocybin uh, aka magic mushrooms because of how the research on that was restricted because they were such controlled substances yet now you know in the last 20 years obviously there were there were trials ongoing with LSD years back but now it's really kind of ramping up going oh my god like MDMA or psilocybin helps people with depression helps people with PTSD you know war veterans it helps people you know excavate and recover from trauma sexual trauma childhood traumas abuse all this kind of stuff like all of these drugs is particularly natural drugs like psilocybin and like uh cannabis marijuana whatever have massive massive health benefits and because of prohibition that people have replicated around the world either through cultural borrowed norms from the US in particular and their fucking shit show on on drugs uh, for, you know, a century or like religious conservatism or just social conservatism uh, is a nonsense. And, you know, alcohol use is going down amongst younger people. And I think that's probably like that's a good thing because particularly in Ireland, which obviously we have a massive issue with binge drinking and with alcoholism. And I would imagine that some drug use is going up amongst young people. But it's interesting to me that the 
it seems to be like the kind of narrative amongst people in their like teens and 20s are that the things that are causing them stress to do with modern life, you know, the like social media and stupid insecure work and crazy inequality. Like, it's interesting to me that alcohol maybe isn't being used as a crutch. And I think that's really healthy. And I think we're going to have a new... I wonder what the impact of that is going to be if younger people are becoming abstemious in the way of alcohol and maybe if they're getting more into recreational drugs, like what will the cultural impact of that be? That was kind of a tangent, but you know, it's just something I wanted to get out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's a very bizarre way to approach things and the CBD rating of shops is really highlighting the like the pointlessness of it and mm. and hopefully a, and a conversation is opening up about a more leveled approach and a more sensible approach rather than a, an approach based in fear of pleasure. Can I just say one more thing on this? You know, the way one people, more. one more, when they say, talk about like decriminalization or legalization, people present these economic arguments. They're like, oh, but if we just like legalize weed and then grow it and tax it and we'll make loads of money. And I just feel like that shouldn't be what it should be about. It shouldn't be that there's an economic argument. Like that is a very enticing argument for people. I understand it. I understand sometimes that argument needs to be used to get things over the line because you need to talk in the language of these neoliberals neoliberals basically yes um but i don't think that that should be the fundamental of the argument it's not about commodifying something it's not about subsuming something else into capitalism it's actually about personal liberty and choices and when you look at what's happening in the states around legalization of marijuana marijuana that sounds so weird when i when i say that uh you have basically these like white multi-millionaire fucking companies and hedge funds and everything backing all these legal weed companies. And then you just have like mostly or, or disproportionately, I should say, black young people languishing in prison for bullshit drugs charges, you know? So it it shouldn't, we shouldn't constantly be looking at how do we subsume something else into capitalism and how can we get people to make loads of profit from this. That's not what it should be about. And it's so mad when you do go to Los Angeles and you go into the like the legal weed stores or whatever. It's just so bizarre because they're like Apple stores, a lot of them. And it's like so mad to see something commercialized and so liberalized and available. I was about to say freely available, obviously you have to pay, um, compared to like it's such an American response to something as well, you know, to just really commercialize it. And then you literally get on a plane to most European countries and that exact same activity would put you in prison. Yeah. Makes no sense, Andrea. Makes no sense. But I just feel like there's a big conversation coming at us in the world about pleasure and how we have to, how how important pleasure is and how we have to stop being afraid to see it as something we deserve and need to see it as something that is not a bonus in life is actually the essence of life. Okay, Fungaid, Andrea. Roaring Twenties, Argo. On that note, it's time for Get in the Sea. 
This week's get in the sea moment comes um, for a, it's quite a general one, and it is a visualization of the patriarchy in action. What is this visualization you're talking about, Andrea? Well, this week, Matty Gilbert um, was on Claire Byrne and then was on Today FM. And why was he on these programs? He was being shopped around as he is a dad who is making 60 grand a month um, for his family. Brilliant. On OnlyFans. Great. Fair play to him. The problem I have with this is that the women who are on OnlyFans are getting dragged through social media a lot of the time and lambasted for their morals and for their, um, their, for whatever they can be lambasted for. Basically they're getting, uh, they're getting roasted basically. And then comes along a man and he's brought on all the shows to say how great he is for utilizing OnlyFans. And you're like, how is this real life? And like, I know it shouldn't, but it just, sometimes the patriarchy just jumps up and smacks me in the face. And I just cannot get over how differently things are for men and women. That's it. That that's can, it. That's it. And uh, what about... It's bananas. Oh my God, that was so good. It's absolutely bananas. Um, what is absolutely bananas is the drama we're having with apartments in, in Ireland. And um, we are very focused on densification and um, creating more homes. Brilliant. But what is happening is there's a report by Killian Woods in the Sunday Business Post at the weekend and it was uh, saying how apartment costs are rising so far from more mortgage borrowing ability of new homeowners. And this isn't a new story. We've had it a couple of times already of how all the new build apartments are uh, being bought up by vulture funds for and build to rent. And that, or also they're just being because they're going higher and the land value is going higher that they're they're just not affordable um, and there's a piece uh, in that article from Lorcan Sear who's a senior lecturer in housing um, at TUD and said that we have contradictory housing policy that's facilitated the surge in apartment prices so you have government policy is trying to encourage densification and confusing that with having to build apartments so on the other hand policy has made them so expensive and lowered the quality so no one wants to live in them so what we're doing is doubling down and forcing people out to commuter counties where they can buy an affordable house so we have a national planning framework that wants to limit people moving out to commuter counties and limit commuting which is good but then on the other arm of the apartment is facilitating the development of expensive apartments that will likely have to have to move to the rental sector so we have just this weird non-connected thought process that we're we need to get densification densification you can see it in the player wills uh building and the there's been a lot of uh local um not what's the opposite of support opposition to the high rise that's going in there with co-living etc and if we if we don't start looking at what we want apartments to be and what role they're meant to play, nobody's going to buy them apart. They're going to lay vacant, which is like, there's been so many examples of um, apartment buildings lying vacant where uh, international buyers are buying them and leaving them vacant. um, And then everyone's moving further and further away to where they can afford. And the idea of a 15 minute city is just 
falling out of our grasp. So I just think it's all a bit bananas what's going on. That is bananas. Now it's time for our fave bits. You go first. Okay, so my fave bits this week are, I'm really missing cinemas uh, a lot. Um, Criterion Channel is a streaming service. So if you've already rinsed Netflix and Mubi, maybe you want to check this out. I think it's like $10.99 a month, which is obviously a lot. But if you want to watch loads of films, it is an interesting one. It's kind of more art housey stuff. They have really good series and director specials. Um, a kind of series that they're running at the moment with a load of films is an Afrofuturism series. And there's loads of films that I haven't seen that are like Afrofuturist classics that I, you know, a lot of I didn't even hear, hear of. One of which I watched last night called Welcome to the Terror Dome. It's a 1995 British film by Ngozi Anwura. And it is set in this kind of dystopian urban uh, city type place. And it's at the time it was kind of uh, written off in the white press um, as like sensationalist. It took a lot about race relations and you watch it now and it's like this is like a really, uh, you know, (laughs) contemporary message about police brutality. It's quite lo-fi. Um, but really ambitious set design and stuff and I really enjoyed that and like there's loads of stuff on the Criterion channel basically this is the first film I've watched on it my girlfriend signed up to it and was like Criterion channel blah blah this film that film and I just didn't really pay much attention to it until I, re- <laughs> until I was looking at it last time I'm like wow this is really amazing just like yes I've been telling you about it for ages um, so check that out if you if you miss cinemas and want to um, expand your film viewing horizons i miss cinemas mostly for the popcorn Mm, i did actually make some popcorn there in january must get back on that my other fave bit is panty was on the six o'clock show rory o'neill talking about the impact of the pandemic on uh his bar and his business and his work as a performer bars i should say and just really you know, Rory is just such a clear speaker sometimes and just like says things straight down the line. He's like, you know, 70% of people have been saving money and everyone else is completely fucked and it's totally bananas. And I just don't think people get that imbalance. And I think that oh, some people get it, right? Especially if you're experiencing it. I think that the broader kind of commentary around you know, the potential end of the pandemic and like things will just snap and those jobs will come back. So, you know, and it's like, but you're not understanding the loss that has occurred in the meantime and how people's experiences, some like some people's experiences have been traumatic, stressful, financially crippling, existential, like what am I doing with my life and my career crises? And other people have just been like, yeah, I'm just on Zoom all day doing my work. Um, I am on that. I have been having this thought that I hope we don't lose the value subconsciously in uh, in real life interaction jobs. And I've even noticed myself being like, oh God, like, is this the right thing to do? Like, not is this the right, like I'm being a bit exaggeration, um, but like you do see how much easier it would be if you were a working from home not zygote but do you know what I mean so you kind of value that a little bit more like maybe after this experience and I don't want us to value that more that we should be valuing what makes us happy and what we want to do rather than what will 
be get us through another pandemic should it happen. Yeah, I agree. I totally get that. I mean, I think it's, you know, the remote working thing is so flat. And I mean, also people talk about like, you know, this kind of thing of like, we need to get back to the office. I mean, I just don't know why anybody would. I mean, I understand that people want to hang out with other people that they're working with. I just don't care about office culture. I think the buildings are a waste of space. I think we could be doing much more things more interesting than them. I'm just, no, it's not my bag. I stopped working in an office over 10 years ago and I'm never going to do it again, even though I had actually a good experience there. Um, But what I was thinking was that like this imbalance and this divide and this very legitimate resentment, I think is going to become quite a potent political and social and cultural force because it's dividing friend groups, it's dividing families, whether people kind of know it or not, like underneath um, the, the fact that people just because their job, you know, wasn't taken away, basically, um, have been able to accumulate wealth. And I think that other people, it's, it's not just about like, oh, but your job will come back. It's like, yeah, but everything that I'd planned to do in that time, I wasn't able to do. I like even people who are like, well, I was working as a hairdresser and I was trying to save for a house and that's gone now. And Johnny from fucking Google has just been stacking up savings for the last year. And the minute go back on sale, who do you think is going to be fucking buying them? It won't be the people who have been on the languishing on the pup for the guts of two years because nobody, people have been you know, there's been enforced poverty because of the circumstances of people's jobs. So I don't think the broader kind of political folks or media folks really understand that it's not about jobs coming back. It's about what was lost in the meantime, opportunities and all of that kind of stuff. Dreams. Dreams. And, and uh, yeah, I think it's going to cause a lot of social tension. Um. And I had something else to say about that, but I can't remember. That would be upset. <laughs> yeah. So my other fave bit is, this is kind of actually a fave bit, but also a hated bit. Um, RuPaul's Drag Race UK, which is much better than the US version, which I quit a while ago. Um, they The latest episode, they were, one of the challenges was to do this Ruru vision, like they had to two teams enter the Eurovision. I'm explaining this to you, Andrea, because you don't watch Drag Race. Which Bing, is, bang, bong. Is yeah. That? So it's the earworm song. And I have been singing it so much that in my household with my partner, we had to set up a swear jar system because <laughs> it just took over. So what I'm going to do now as an exorcism from my mind I'm going to give it to you, our listeners, if you have not yet heard it. This is your pain now. It's gone from me. What are your fave bits, Andrea? My fave bits, I have a long list, uh, which is so joyous to me. First up, Next in Fashion. It's a show on Netflix. I I binged it. I loved it. It was really good. Tan from Queer Eye and Alexa Chung present it. And it's all these professional designers um, are battling it out to get their clothes sold on Net-A-Porter. And it's really interesting because all these time, a lot of the time, these shows are like um, 
are not professionals, they're amateurs or whatever. So it was really insightful to see how the minds work of professional creatives in fashion trying to create this line and their vision and all that kind of jazz. It was just a really good show. I really liked it. Um, my other fave bit, it's come to the point now where we've been closed for like nearly a year that we might tropical popical is going to maybe think about doing something online (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we have pushed back against it but we're going to do a trop pop night out in um and it's the 20th next friday night uh that will be going live today so if you'd like to come along and have the crack we're going to be doing like how to do nails obviously but loads of other bits and how to make cocktails and like just literally a reason to get dressed up put a lip on wear some earrings and have the crack with the gals or the guys or the days whatever uh my other thing is Bridget Kavanagh in my mind's eye walking amongst ghosts uh Bridget is in her mid-90s and that is her new book and I was just really struck in my heart by how it's like god i sound so cliched it's never too late but i just think if you really love something you can always have the opportunity to do it and not be held back by just because you're getting older and i think she should be held up as an icon for getting it girl uh and that's her first book is it yeah stunning yeah so i just was really taken by that i haven't read the book but the fact that she did it is enough for me uh i listened to mangoes valentine smoke breaks and handbrakes and it's just so good it's such a vibe and like obviously it's for the love day but it's such a like an uplifting take on love rather than like sad songs or whatever and so i would highly recommend also as we were talking about pleasure a lot today, there was an article in Novara Media called In Defense of Sex and Parties. And it was written as um, a reaction to uh, a trans woman said that she wanted to go out and ride people she didn't know and have parties. And look, who doesn't? Um, and this article just kind of looks at the value of sex and parties and pleasure and how we frame that and the politicization of it all. Definitely worth a read. Uh still the cat I'm still not over it (laughs) I can't get over it I just think it's so brilliant and I just cannot leave it alone and I keep going back to it so if you haven't watched the the lawyer as a cat like I can't imagine there's anyone who hasn't it just really will brighten your day if you're having a shit day and finally this will probably be controversial but the dean have launched an art studio residency with Emma and there's been, I've seen pushback online and also celebration of it. They're basically uh, fully funding um, artist studios on Harcourt Street in association with Emma. And whenever I see stuff like that, I'm just like, do you know, I know it's frustrating when people come in and buy things and make things and whatever that aren't to your taste, but it's not the job of hotels to create spaces for artists. It's the job of our city leaders to create the cities we live in. And if then hotels do come in and take some responsibility for uh, the culture that is being displaced, I think that should be applauded and they don't have to do that. And yeah, I'm all for it. Hmm. I have some some thoughts on that, but maybe they're for another time. <laughs> um, I get what you're saying. I also have lots of 
you know, lofty criticisms about it. Um, book of the week time, our new item. Uh, the book I'm reading this week is Jagged Little Pill, You Live, You Learn, the stories behind the iconic album and groundbreaking musical by Alanis Morissette and Diablo Cody. This is a book that's kind of like a cross between an annual and like a Bible for a player musical. It's kind of a scrapbook thing. It does all the character profiles and everything. And really great. A few people have asked me or have not, nobody has asked me. A few people have asked me about my skincare routine. No, a few people have said. How you get your teeth so white? On, I'm on glad it. you asked. Um, I posted on Instagram and people were like, oh, I need this book, Lala. I actually got the book in chapters at Christmas. So it could be still there if it was open. Um, but bookshops aren't essential, apparently. Um, they should open the bookshops. Okay. On that note, uh, this podcast is produced. This was a long podcast. I'm sorry. We'll be more brief next week. Uh, by, produced by Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all our design. This week's tuna chicken roll. I just want to picture the scene. There I was in my mom's car driving along. The sun was out, so I rolled down the window. And I had flashbacks to the giddy excitement of when I got my first car. Me and my sister would get in with nowhere to go, just to drive around, blasting tunes, smoking back in the day. And it was just the most joy ever. And those feelings were instantly brought back when I was like, there's something magical about driving with the wind in your hair and music on. And I can't figure out what that magic is, but who needs to figure out magic? We just need to live it. And one of the songs that was playing was Sarone, Give Me Love. I've been Una Mullally. And I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was CBD in the Marble City. (laughs) 